Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up to the Byline Times podcast, this time mounting evidence that Donald Trump was involved in an anti-democratic conspiracy around the January the 6th insurrection in January 2021. After the latest hearings, Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger told ABC's This Week that Trump's actions were seditious and amounted to criminal involvement. Trump denies any wrongdoing and has described the congressional hearings into what happened on January the 6th as a kangaroo court. We'll be getting the latest with award-winning US journalist Heidi Kuda from the Radicalised podcast who's been covering the hearings for Byline Times. Before we do, just a reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are funded by subscribers too. The Byline Times, a brilliant monthly newspaper. We can report without fear or favour because we don't have a wealthy proprietor telling us what to say, but we do rely on your contributions. So please subscribe if you can. you find out how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. And if you've already taken out a subscription, thank you. Uh, Heidi, uh, before we get into the Donald Trump story, uh, just reflecting on uh, Byline Times and the importance of independent media, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there was a story in the Times newspaper in the UK suggesting that Boris Johnson when he was still having an affair with the woman who is now his wife, when she was then Carrie Simmons, that he lobbied the Foreign Office to get a a really top job, chief of staff job in the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. That was a story that appeared in the Times newspaper, but then disappeared, disappeared from later editions of the newspaper, the printed edition, and appears to have disappeared online as well. And the suggestions are that Downing Street lent on the Times to remove that story, effectively killing it. Of course, it won't kill it because people like us will keep mentioning it, but it just shows, doesn't it, the the power, the immense influence that these newspaper proprietors uh, have and, and the way in which Downing Street and, and other governments, of course, in other countries can lean on the established press who they deem to owe them favours. Well, you know, in 2016, when the resistance meetings were still underground, uh, one of my first friends that I made uh, was somebody from Romania originally. And he said that the authoritarian capture starts with the silencing of truth. And that is why independent uh, investigative journalism is so critical And interestingly, we saw all the corporate media suddenly with the onset of Trump form these uh, investigative uh, teams. But I looked at them with a very jaundiced eye and their reporting played out my my cynicism because it was quite often just so Vichy. One good story over here, one puff piece over there. There was never any consistency. And we only have to look at, uh, I think it was called the Munich Times, to know just how reporters historically have put their life on the lines in order to push out truth. And as you know, truth has been under siege. So I'm not surprised about what you're telling me. And honestly, about once a week, I check to see if Forbes has scrubbed the Jared Kushner cover from uh, November of 2016. It was the December cover, but it came out in November because any investigative journal worth their salt looked at that 
found out about Cambridge Analytica, looked at Peter Thiel's role in all of this, looked and saw where this was happening and what was going on in Texas. And that began for me, you know, basically my life's work investigating what had happened to our country. But I'm not surprised. And, you know, uh, you guys know we can never underestimate, um, uh, you know, the the impacts of somebody like Rupert Murdoch on um, the world, quite frankly. Many of us have lost uh, family members to Fox propaganda. So um, I I don't think we're going to really understand the true impacts of what we're living through uh, for years to come. But um, the press was always powerful, but it wasn't always owned by six corporations. Mm. Well, let, let me just tell uh, for listeners who, who aren't across this story, and it will come to the very important January the 6th hearings and Donald Trump shortly, but the story that was carried in the Times has, of course, been rebutted by Carrie Johnson, as she now is, that these claims are totally untrue. Downing Street hasn't given an on-the-record response, but has also suggested the story was untrue, arguing that it was a sexist story. But the story was written up by a veteran journalist called Simon Walters. The story goes that the Daily Mail and or the Mail on Sunday were given the tip originally, and they declined to carry the story, but that Simon Walters got it placed in the Times and he's a very well-connected lobby journalist, you know, not known for printing untruths. And the suggestion is that Boris Johnson was trying to get his then mistress, his now wife, Carrie Johnson, appointed to the Foreign Office in a role as Chief of Staff. Now, the fact that that story has simply disappeared rather than being amended or corrected in any way from the Times is, I think, at at the very least, hugely curious. And on this podcast a few weeks ago, we carried the story based on stories in the Byline Times about the way in which significant sums of money, of public money, were given to newspaper groups at the height of the pandemic. And of course, the argument was that they were suffering from declines in readership, declines in circulation because of the pandemic, because people couldn't go out and that it was needed to prop up the newspaper industry. But of course, it meant that some of the very richest people in the United Kingdom were effectively being subsidised by the taxpayer, because these Mm -hmm. are the people who own much of our media. So it's a a story that I think is going to run and run and is very, very curious to say the least. Oh, absolutely. I mean, reporters of my generation got into the gig because we were good with the pen and we got into it like firefighters and police officers. It was a way to be of service uh, for our communities and our country. Uh, all the big contracts, the Roger Ailes, you know, what Ailes America all came later. But when I was graduating J school, I remember my professor taking me to lunch going, you know, all the, you know, corporations are buying up the mom and pops. And I kind of gulped because I knew that was not going to be good for America. I did not know just how bad it was going to be. I was uh, an investigative reporter for 
corporate news, uh, a Fox affiliate owned by Rupert Murdoch. But we were independent for many, many years simply because we were number one in our area. So we were sort of left alone and we could do as good a work as you could in that ecosystem. Uh, And then, you know, somewhere around 09, that changed. I got out in 2013, not without a lot of scars, but um, I think that the people who are standing up for what is right and view this type of independent investigative journalism as civic duty truly are my heroes because uh, this is not a get rich quick scheme. This is like, how are we going to survive, you know, month to month uh, and do this work? And people like me just found a way. I just, you know, no matter what happened, I was not going to give up the opportunity to be an investigative reporter with many years of training unshackled by a corporation during a time of mass deception. I'm very grateful to Byline Times. You're platforming some of the most important uh, writers, I think, of our time. And uh, I think it's just, you know, I, I, I just, I, I feel it's civic duty. And I'm so glad that you are relentless. I look at Boris Johnson as a, as a much more dangerous version of Trump in some ways because he doesn't have kind of the overt ogerness, you know, being on this side of the world and looking out, he seems, you know, uh, much more of a likable chap than what we had to deal with here in America. And I think that's dangerous. Mm. And thank you to our listener, Kathy, by the way, who's pointed me to a tweet by Dominic Cummings, who was a former special advisor of Boris Johnson. And Cummings has tweeted in the last hour saying the missing story pulled by the Times after a call from number 10 on Friday night, is true. Walters, this is the journalist Simon Walters, repeatedly published accurate stories, for example, on illegal donations. The Times is pathetic to have folded and should reverse ferret. The truth is worse, according to Cummings. He then has uh, a picture of a a shopping trolley, because that's uh, his characterisation of Boris Johnson, like the shopping trolleys go off in all sorts of weird and unexpected directions, (laughs) but effectively saying Johnson also wanted to appoint his girlfriend now his wife to a government job at another point in 2020 as well so as i say that's a story that will run and run but i think bearing in mind that we're talking about the january the 6th insurrection the role we've talked about previously on this podcast that fox news had in that you know these are stories where the role of the media is ever present they're never the, the the media and the close friends of government and the client journalists are never far from these stories no they are not um you know it's uh it's been a big week here in america it's been a very emotional week for me and many others and i'm very grateful to our friends in the uk who care about what happened on january 6th and care about the fact that we do have an opportunity uh, for justice. Before we move on to the sixth, though, I will say that I work with three of the best OSINT investigative researchers, and we have networked throughout the world with the best OSINT investigative researchers. And the Wayback Machine always knows, so they can scrub, and they can scrub, and they can scrub, and they can delete stories, and they can do whatever they want. But we live in a post privacy world, we will always be able to, uh, you know, find these reports because the the internet never forgets. So they can try. 
um, the the money behind people like Johnson and the money behind people like Trump are the reason why we look up and go, why are they still in power? How do they get away with this? A lot of money is invested in continuing the kind of corrupt bastardry that we see. And uh, I, I'm very, I don't want to say cautiously optimistic. I don't even want to go as far as hopeful, but I'm really grateful that we have this committee in America that is basically a beacon for the rest of the world to say we actually still have an ability to, uh, you know, expose the corrupt at the highest levels in America. What's going to happen from there? We don't know, but I look forward to um, chatting about it a bit with you today. Indeed. And uh, for people who don't know, OSINT is, uh, refers to open source intelligence, stuff that you can gather that's out there on the internet somewhere. You just need to know where and how to look for it. And you and your colleagues certainly do, Heidi. Let's talk about Let's talk then about the uh, the January the 6th committee hearings then, which we've discussed as well previously, but there have been big developments in the last few days. And at the weekend on television, I thought this was just so powerful. Adam Kinzinger, who's a, a congressman from Illinois, talked about Trump being involved in a seditious conspiracy. He talked about mm-hmm. criminal involvement by a president. These mm-hmm. are strong words. But mm-hmm. there's not words coming from a Republican. And it's so rare, certainly in recent times, to hear Republicans talking out against Trump. Kinzinger mm-hmm. laying it on the line. Yes, um, that is the genius of this committee. They have allowed and encouraged Republicans to be the ones delivering the narrative. So therefore, the Trump uh, people of Trumplandia can't call this a communist inquisition. So we really saw that last week. And my friend, my colleague, Jim Stewartson was the first to point it out to me. These are not Democrats uh, doing the narration. The entire way uh, all the big moments have been delivered from members of his own party. Now, if there is a more of a, um, if there's less restraint in talking smack about Trump at this point from members of their party, keep in mind that he is not uh, drawing the crowds that he was. He's no longer as terrific for ratings. He still has his base, but the cult that has been manufactured around these lies in this time, the radicalized folks, they will go to another avatar. So it more than likely we have to start looking at people like the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis and others. So I think that there's probably um, less fear that they won't be able to get the money from the major donors if they talk shit about Trump again. I don't think he quite has the same power he did. That said, Anytime a dictator still has a bit of power, and that's exactly what he, you know, has manufactured himself to be, we must be concerned because as the Honorable Judge Lutig said, you know, Trump and his supporters continue to be a clear and present danger to our country. So it's not to underestimate the fact that we are still um, in peril. 
Yeah, this was uh, testimony as well at the committee hearings from Judge Michael Lutig. I think he's a former judge now, but he said that democracy today is on a knife's edge, and he described Trump's efforts to overturn the election as treacherous. And this is a yeah. guy who I've seen as have been described as having real gravitas. He's, he's not a political animal. He is a judge. Mm -hmm. Well, I think for those who have not necessarily had the opportunity to spend, you know, eight or nine hours watching every moment of the hearings, I just wanted to offer a summary of what we've heard in the first three uh, days. And then also remind people that it's very important never to forget the police officers who testified originally last year. But the takeaways are quite simple. Trump attempted a coup. It was very much a cynical money-making scheme. Nobody really believed it, even those promoting it. And there was pressure on Pence to uh, not certify the election to throw our country in complete disarray. And uh, I thought about this a lot. And a friend of mine last night said that, uh, you know, because I really was grateful to Pence on Thursday. I really, I begged the guys on my show, can we just have 40 minutes where we're just grateful to Pence? And, <laughs> you know, they're like, no, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. What he really did, as my friend James said last night, is he drove through a green light. He just did what he was supposed to do. Sorry, Heidi, to interrupt again yeah. for you, Kayliss. Pence was the vice president, and the committee hasn't yet heard from Pence himself, but heard from his attorney in the most recent hearings, that Pence was put under severe pressure from Trump mm -hmm. to intervene to declare the election illegal. That's right. I mean, it was, uh, you know, people talk about there was like a 40-foot distance between, you know, having a democracy and not having a democracy. And uh, it's, it's amazing to me, again, that... Um, we had somebody in the White House who stress tested our Constitution and what was legal every single step of the way. And I do think there was a lot of underestimating just what a professional propagandist Donald Trump is and was, uh, is, I would say, when we listen to the words that he used to stir people up to be at the Capitol on January 6th and the words that he used about Mike Pence, you know, we heard in the hearing on day three that he called him a wimp and used the P word in reference to him and told his, you know, uh, at his rallies, you know, that uh, I'm not going to really, you know, if Mike doesn't do the right thing, I'm not really going to want to be his friend and things like that. He used classic mob speak, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. <laughs> it's, it's the innuendos, it's those words. And, you know, we heard the mob say to, you know, hang Mike Pence. So uh, the fact that Trump would be willing to put his vice president in such great peril and be willing to put police officers in great peril, we're going to find out more about what happened in the hours that he did not call for backup. Uh, you know, it, it's not surprising because he was the same, he's the same guy who really, I believe, is responsible for hundreds and thousands of deaths from not handling COVID uh, with any proper, uh, you know, uh, backing. It was, it was, uh, 
you know, we're just still, I don't think, I don't think that there has been any breathing room for people to really just realize just how bad this country suffered under Trump and how, quite frankly, we are still suffering. Was there any explanation given as to how this might have been a successful money-making scheme then for Trump? Because that's an element of the story that puzzles me. I can understand the insurrection, the desire not to lose power. How were you meant to capitalize on it? Oh, that's such a great question. Well, so I'm making a commitment with my team and the writing that I do that I'm going to consistently follow the money. We are in an information war with professional propagandists. And if we react to everything at its face value, I think we will continue just to sort of lurch around. But if we always follow the money, things will start to make a lot more sense. Trump raised a quarter million, and this is what we learned on day two, from what what I call the big grift, from what uh, Zoe Lofgren called the big lie, which was really the big ripoff. The more he gets up there and says there was this lie and we need your help investigating it and proving it, the more he could just go ka-ching and people would send him money. And what did we find out on day two? That the money was not being used to challenge uh, the voter fraud, that it was going to a charity for Mark Meadows, that various members of Trump's administration were benefiting. That still leaves hundreds of millions of dollars where we're like, where did that go? Now, I think what we're going to be seeing the committee doing, because just like with Al Capone, we wanted to catch him on all the terrible things he did. But what happened? The bean counters caught him on tax fraud, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think we know that that if you look at who turned up in D.C., this was not the, uh, you know, uh, uh, this th- this was not a crowd that probably came from a lot of trust funds. There was money that was available to them to get them there, and I think that we're going to be following a lot of a lot of how they got it, where they got it, because paying for sedition is actually money laundering and illegal. And the other thing is, when you're dealing with a professional propagandist, this is so important. Every time Trump would tweet some venomous thing at Nancy Pelosi, his bank account balance would go up. Creating that outrage is how he would make his money. We now have a a, a, a politician in America, Marjorie Taylor Greene, doing the same thing. They create these witches. Currently, Kamala Harris is one of the witches they create. These are all money-making schemes. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, raised $100 million by creating all these hate bills the way you stoke outrage and the you know and the way you raise money is ex- doing exactly what they're doing they're demonizing people or great groups of people and that results in filling their coffers and i believe that this whole big lie that's what it was about for trump it goes back to his his default is is where does he get the money i don't know if your friends our friends in the uk are aware but trump never stopped campaigning So he becomes president and immediately he's campaigning and campaigning then became the family business. His sons were always out there. His daughter's out there. Everybody's on the campaign trail. The girlfriend's out there. The wives of the sons are out there. 
always hosting these rallies, always uh, raising money. And for a guy who, in my investigations in the 2000s, was always had his hands in some way, form or another in a Ponzi scheme, this was just a massive opportunity for him. In terms of Mike Pence, he's a vice president. I'm not going to give you 40 minutes here, Heidi, but I'll give you a few minutes to, to kind of praise him. If Pence was vice president, the very idea that he would have the power to intervene and effectively declare the election result null and void was not really within his gift, was it? It was, it was an odd situation for him to be placed in. As you say, he was put in danger. He was within 40 foot of the mob, or the mob were within 40 foot of him. But the very idea that Pence might have this constitutional role was ridiculed in the hearings. Yes. it. it, it to me, every single scheme they came up with was, you know, was show just how much the money behind Trump and the corrupt money involved, they did not want that to stop. So they had to concoct ways for this man to stay in power. And that is what I mean by stress testing the Constitution. They tried everything and they failed at every at every level. And the last thing was to uh, pressure the vice president to do something absolutely preposterous. And he just didn't do it. People want to make him a hero. I'm not going to say he is or he isn't. I am grateful that he did the right thing. But what he did was just what he needed to do, what any vice president would have done. If if a vice president could determine the outcome of an election, this would be a very different country. Yeah, I think the question was raised. I mean, you know, the founding fathers of the United States, the people who drew up the Constitution, would not, in all seriousness, have vested the power to determine whether an election was fair or not in the hands of somebody who had an interest in the outcome. <laughs> it's, it, it's laughable, really. It is laughable, but it is, it's it's totally laughable, but so serious. And I think that um, one of the folks interviewed uh, for, for uh, the hearings, um, Eric... Uh, Eric, I'm trying to remember his name, Hirschman. Somebody needs to tweet it out. Uh, He basically told John Eastman uh, that I'm going to give you some great advice. Go get yourself a really good criminal defense lawyer because you're going to need it. So the guy who concocted this scheme, whether or not he was a true believer or somebody just grasping at straws, he knew enough about what he was doing that he actually asked Rudy Giuliani at the last minute if he could get a pardon from Trump. So, you know, if you look at the people involved, uh, some of them may be true believers, some of them just, you know, on the payroll, uh, waiting to cash the checks, you know, uh, not, not, um, not necessarily brilliant legal minds, but definitely people who knew how to stress test our constitution. Yeah. Eric Hirschman is the guy, isn't it? And, he uh, he uh, he said that he. This was a recorded interview, uh, as I understand it. That when the question was put to him about overturning the election, he he said, "Are you out? Are you are you out of your effing mind?" Yes, and he said two words. I got two words for you: orderly transition. Mm. Uh, you know. In our understanding, uh, you know, if anybody who's read Ruth Ben uh, Ruth uh, Ben Giat's 
uh, book, Strongmen, where she looks at 100 years of fascism. None of this is new. This is all stuff that we've seen before. The only thing that's different is the way it's being transmitted to us. So we had a real moment in America last week. We had many moments, and it was very profound. We've never seen anything like it. We, we essentially have a committee, a bipartisan committee, telling us that, you know, our, our quote-unquote president attempted a coup. And, you know, uh, and we had police officers telling us that they, the sounds of this crowd were so medieval. But because we live in a time where everything comes at the speed of the Internet, you know, we get distracted and we move on. But we should not move on uh, from January 6th. And I'm looking forward to the committee continuing to do its incredible job of laying it out. And I, for one, am very proud when I look at that committee and I see not only bipartisanship, but I see the incredible racial diversity that is America. And for me, that's just a subtle F you to some of these supremacists who really uh, perhaps need to get out a little bit more and see that the world is full of brilliant and beautiful people of all colors. And that is something that we should embrace in our country. It's just a little subtle, you know, uh, subtext when I look at that panel and and my heart swells with pride. Hi, there. It's been great to speak to you and hopefully we'll uh, catch up again next week and see how the last or the next seven days have gone. By then they will be the last seven days. Hopefully we'll all be here and well. But I'm really grateful to you for marking our card because I think this is so important, obviously, for the United States. But we do see the United States for all of its many flaws and there is no, no perfect country in the world. But we do see it as a beacon of freedom and democracy and an ally in democracy here in the United Kingdom. But both in the US and the UK, we know that democracy is threatened as perhaps never before in modern times. So really important to hear the latest on these congressional hearings and, and get the sense of uh, what exactly is going on. Thank you so much. And um, people can check you out as well on the Radicalised podcast. Yes, we're doing a nice Father's Day recording in a couple of hours, and we have an incredible interview with another um, behavioral scientist from Rand Corporation on domestic extremism and addiction. So I'm really excited to hear what he has to say. Should be brilliant stuff. Radicalized with a Z because you're American and you don't have <laughs> properly. Uh, Heidi, thank you so much. And of course, you can read Heidi in the Byline Times as well. And just before we go, to remind you that if uh, you want to support the free and fearless journalism that Heidi's involved with and that we're hopefully involved with here on the Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast, then please consider taking out a subscription to the Byline Times. You'll get details on how to subscribe on our news breaking website at bylinetimes.com. Great to speak, Heidi. Speak to you again soon. And uh, take care. Stay safe. See you later. Can't wait. Thank you. Bye-bye.